Welcome back to Bible Love. We are recording today on the Feast of St. Jerome, who seems an appropriate saint for us to think about. So the collect appointed for today, let us pray. O God, who gave us the Holy Scriptures as a light to shine upon our path, grant us, after the example of your servant Jerome, so to learn of you according to your holy word, that we may find the light that shines more and more to the perfect day, even Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Y'all, this is a a big day for me in my life. Um, We have one of my favorite people that ever walked the planet on this podcast, the very Reverend Cynthia Bridge Kittredge. Cynthia is the Dean of the Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas. I'm going to go ahead and say it, Alan, the best seminary there is, um, I went there. A lot of awesome people went there. A couple of things I want to tell you about Cynthia, um, besides being one of the most amazing and brilliant people that I know. Um, I don't even know if you know this, Cynthia, but when I got to Seminary of the Southwest in 2011, they were, Cynthia was the academic dean. Um, she had not become the dean yet. And they were giving us all um, who our advisors would be. And I was the only one assigned to Cynthia. And I remember calling my dad and being like, they are so worried about me. (laughs) They have given me the academic dean as my dean. But it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. She um, walked me through so much. She showed me what a female strong priest looks like. Um, She listened to me and ended up, um, preaching at my ordination to the diaconate, flew all the way to Alabama to do that for me, and is now my colleague and friend and um, someone I care very much about. So, Cynthia, we are honored that you are here with us today. Alan knows Cynthia as well because they're both now Texans and do Texas stuff, um, although Cynthia lives in a pretty cool town, Austin, maybe a little bit better than Keller. I don't know. We'll, we'll, y'all can de- debate that later. But so glad you're here, Cynthia, to talk to us about the book of Joshua, which is what we're going to be diving into the next couple of weeks. So welcome, Cynthia. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast, and it's an honor to be here. Um, you all can filter out. Mary Balfour's um, complete idealizing of me <laughs> and uh, lower your expectations for this uh, presentation. But yeah, um, forming students is what we do. And it's still the center of, of what I do as Dean and President and um, Mary Balfour, you and students like you are, you know, what make us so proud. And uh, that's the reason we exist. So it's really great to to always see what you're doing and the creativity that you're bringing to your work. So great. And uh, thank you both for this opportunity. Uh, I enjoyed the challenge of going back to Joshua um, 
in, pre in preparation for this uh, presentation. As you know, Episcopalians uh, accept and embrace the whole Bible and uh, the daily office uh, lectionary readings are reading continuously through the books of the Bible, and that's a uh, Anglican and Episcopal tradition. Uh, it's we don't have to like it all, we don't have to understand it all, or hear it all preached on, but it it comes to us, and we hold it in our lives together um, in that form and others. And I, I commend your um, project to encourage people to, to read more of the Bibles. Yeah. It's been a great challenge for Alan and I too, you know, because as priests, we often just look at the lectionary and we preach on that. And for the, I think both of us, we just had our one year anniversary last week, Cynthia, and we were thinking about what are the things that have happened as we've been doing this podcast. And I think we both feel much more knowledgeable about the Bible and most importantly, have a deeper relationship with God. From doing this. And we hope that's been the case for other people that are listening as well. So tell us your, some of your thoughts about Joshua. Okay. Well, first let me um, recommend two bibliographical references for you. One is a new book, a one volume um, introduction to the Bible by Judy Fentress Williams uh, called Holy Imagination. I don't know if it's going to be backwards, but She's um, Alan's professor. Yes, yes. And she's written an amazingly, uh, yeah, an amazingly clear and pastoral and insightful introduction to the Bible. So I really recommend that for your listeners. Um, and I also recommend a book that's a little bigger that I was a co-editor on called The Fortress Commentary on the Bible. And this is the one in the uh, Old Testament mm -hmm. and Apocrypha. And um, this is a, a lot longer, but one of the interesting things about it, and I'll try to bring this into my introduction, is that it um, deals with the historical issues about the passages in the books. It deals with the history of interpretation, particularly by the church fathers and influential the Christian theologians. And then it talks about the contemporary challenges and um, ways of, engaging with these books. So it has a, uh, a hermeneutical circle approach to, to scripture. And I found it really valuable, especially even in reviewing to get ready for this presentation. That sounds pretty familiar. Yeah. I think that's how I learned. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I'm back in seminary. So yeah, I won't go into all the, the nitty gritty on that, but I, I do recommend those two, those right. two resources. And we'll link those um, to the podcast as okay. well. So others can know about it. Well, uh, an overview of Joshua, as you all know, we've heard about the liberation of is Israel from slavery in Egypt, the making of the covenant at Sinai. And now we're um, in the narrative at the conquest and um, settlement of the land of Canaan, uh, the, the, the promised land. And, this is a um, highly idealized, highly theologized uh, historiography uh, of the time. Um, it's a story with moral implications and 
very specific and clear theological themes, uh, which, which I'll get to in a second. Um, so it's, it's history, but it's theologized history, which much of the history in the, in the Bible is. There's a lot of uh, controversy in historical criticism about the conquest, about if there was a conquest, uh, how much it resembled this very successful, violent military conquest, whether it was a slow settlement, whether it existed at all. Um, so that's the um, hardcore historical scholars deal with that. They look at it, archaeology. They look at all these things. And that's very much up for debate whether this happened in the way that it's described. You know, However, yeah, interrupt you. we haven't really talked about that a lot, Alan, the, if it did really happen or it didn't kind of concept. I think that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, it's, it's can be very sensitive um, because what archaeologists and historians do is they look for uh, archaeological and literary evidence for something like the Exodus and the conquest. And you might not be surprised, but there's very little actual evidence. And in fact, there's the archaeological evidence kind of leads against there being one dramatic exodus and one dramatic conquest. Mm -hmm. However, those events have become more than historical events in the faith of Jews and Christians. And those things are, to me, the question of whether there's archaeological evidence for them or whether they really happened is way, way less important than the fact that those are our foundational right. um, stories that make the people of Israel, the people of Israel and the church, the church. Um, but I thought I would bring that in because, you know, when you're reading about these texts, you'll often come across the historical analysis and, hmm. and biblical scholars, you know, uh, who specialize in Joshua, some of them, that's their specialty. Right. Is, is what, what kind of conquest this was and how it worked and was it a slow settlement and everything. And that's not, that's not our task as uh, preachers or biblical theologians or um, Christians, but that's a specialized task that they do. Thank you. So, um, so let me talk about the, the kind of structure I got this structure from the Fortress Commentary on the Bible, the article by Pitt Cannon. Um, if you think about the book in about five sections, uh, one to five is about crossing into the land, six to 12 and 13 to 21 are about um, further conquest and allotment and division of the land. And chapters 23 and 24 are about covenant renewal and sort of instructions going forward. And what I particularly like is uh, one of the scholars divides this up into, let's see, up one, two, three, four verbs, cross, take, divide, and serve. Oh, wow. It's just a really easy way to think about uh crossing, conquest, dividing, and, and then serve. 
Yeah. Some people, yeah. I hadn't thought, I mean, that's really neat. I was thinking about that. Like sometimes the whole, the whole book might feel overwhelming and how do we sort of, you know, for, for us non-academics, how do we sort of take those, take those things that we're looking for as we move through? And that'll be really helpful for me. I know. And I hope some of our listeners as well. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, to me, it goes back to your comment about the history or the historicity of this. And right, like when we modern thinkers, when we think a history book, which people call Joshua a history book, we think it's something that like David McCullough writes and spends years and years, right? Like that wasn't really a concept back then, right? Like people writing down facts and figures that can be proven. I mean, there's historical truth in it. But they're looking more for what can we get out of it, like you talked about. And there, when we can simplify the movement of it and not be, oh, it's this big, overwhelming thing, but where we can say this book is about crossing, taking, dividing and serving. That gives us a framework to think about the folks who shared this story, the folks who learned this story way back when they were looking for that kind of thing, I think, mm-hmm. like the inspiration from it, the the lessons learned from it, not what was the day that we did this thing? Right. Not They weren't getting caught up in the historicity. They were looking, I think what you're getting at, kind of the overarching, what is this trying to tell us about who we are? Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Cynthia. So um, some people consider Joshua to be the sixth book after the Decalogue, but Hexateuch. And other scholars uh, consider it to be part of the Deuteronomistic history, which starts with Deuteronomy and goes through Second Kings. Um, the I'll probably talk about it more as part of the Deuteronomistic history, um, which has the specific theological uh, emphases of the Deuteronomistic history. These were writers that told the story of Israel's birth. Um, and the Exodus conquest and um, settlement and the development of kingship. And they told this story actually from the perspective of after the destruction of Israel and after the exile. So the people who are telling the story or compiling the materials um, that go into it already know that it's going to go away, (laughs) which I think is a really spiritually very important way to understand um, this part of the Bible. Um, So all these, all these stories of fantastic military uh, conquests are being read by people who are no longer in a position to conquer anyone. Um, A couple of themes of the Deuteronomistic history, which you'll, um, I've already talked about it and recognized is, is Moses authority. Uh, the Joshua as a apt successor of Moses as the prophet who takes over after Moses, who's powerful, who does deeds of power, who teaches the law and, um, who stresses obedience to the law above all things. And one of the features of the Deuteronomistic historian is that, um, Israel's failures and uh, defeats were caused ultimately by failure to follow the law and usually 
uh, involving idolatry. And, um, and this is a steady theme you see throughout even all the mixed up variety of the deterministic history. You see this theme coming back again and again, and you'll see this obedience to God's commandments stressed uh, at the end in the serve part in chapter 23 and 24. And it's repeated. If you, if you take a highlighter, you can even highlight those, those parts where you hear that. So that's something to, to, that holds it together. Um, now I'm kind of jumping to some of the ethical issues, but one of the things about the Deuteronomistic history, um, is that it, it attributes disaster to sin and bad things happening because people were bad. And you probably all know how that theology has shaped a lot of Christian understanding about misfortune. Um, And a lot of you who've worked with sick and dying people or people that are uh, suffering know that that self-blame is a, a big feature of it. And usually the pastor tries to uh, undo that and say, no, it's not your fault. <laughs> Bad things do happen to good people. Right. But the Deuteronomistic history historian says bad things happen because people were bad. Right. And the way to get better things to go better is to be good and follow the law. And that's just it. Now, um, the wonderful thing is, and from my point of view, is that the Bible has other voices behind, besides the Deuteronomistic historian. But that is the Deuteronomistic um, theology of suffering uh, and disaster. Which is complicated, right, for people. Um, when we, some of us look at the Bible and want to read it exactly as it says and live our lives exactly as it says, that's complicated, right? If we sit there and go, I'm just going to live my life the way the book of Joshua says, we are are, are going to think that we're bad. We are going to think that we make mistakes. Um, and I so am grateful that you said the beautiful thing is that there are other voices that sort of take care of that um, that situation, because I don't think we're bad. I think that we're people, we're humans that are fall, flawed and need God's love um, over and over and over again to exist. So, yeah, it's problematic if you only are reading it without the correct lens, right? Well, and the fact that the biblical canonizers kept both the voice of the Deuteronomistic historian and the voice of uh, Job and Ecclesiastes and uh, Ruth and uh, is is the best thing about our tradition is that those are always going to be in dialogue or in, in in argument with each other and they're t- depending on the time and the interpreter and the community sometimes one voice is going to be the one you want right. to it's going to make sense to you. Um, and this and is also true in the New Testament. You know, the, the, the New Testament has this various conversations going on in it about, um, yeah, whether whether sin causes misfortune, um, whether you should keep the Jewish law, whether women should be leaders, all kinds of questions are going on in the New Testament and, and multiple positions are, are preserved. 
And I think that goes to, right, like maybe sometime in our history, we were able to hold competing thoughts in our brain. We're less and less able to do that, it seems. Like we want the answer. What is the thing the Bible says? Well, the folks who put these 66 books together, like I hear those folks saying, the Bible says this and this. And we think God is saying this and this. And we have to wrestle with what that means. Yeah, there's generational sin that causes problems, maybe. But there's also just bad luck that like not everything is anyone's fault. It, how do we wrestle with with both of those concepts? And we've seen it in the book so far. We'll see it in Joshua and we'll see it up through when Jesus says who sins so that this man might be born blind. Like Jesus was making people wrestle with that question. Yeah. Well, and it's the it's the community of readers that receive these texts who are able to hear this conversation and enter into it, uh, which is why the, the, there's no point in this book just sitting there. Uh, it's nothing. Uh, when it's read by Christians and by communities of faith, that's when it becomes alive. Yeah, and Cynthia, we've talked about that so much, and that's one of our hopes for the podcast, right, is that that we are creating a community, right? Because, and, and I, I preached about this last Sunday, even, why do you come to church? You know, if I'm just sitting there having conversations in my head with myself, that's not very interesting, and I'm going to get in one track. Um, and as hard as sometimes seminary can be, that's one of the most beautiful parts about it is, is that you're challenged and you're in conversation and we can't all be in seminary, but what we kind of hope is that conversations like the, this on the Bible Love podcast or small groups or whatever, that you are exploring together and you are wrestling as, um, as Alan said, and that you are going, wait, I might have, this might be a different way to think about this. Um, and that's so beautiful that we can do that and we can express our love for God and each other through this beautiful book. It might be problematic at times, but still has so much love for God's people in it. So what else you got for us? on okay, So let me, let me go right to the very hard part, which is the stories of, um, harem or, um, there's another word for it, the ban, the, the um, God's decree to totally annihilate your enemy and all their stuff at each moment of conquest. Um, this has, uh, I, one scholar calls this, has called this a genocidal imperative, which is a very strong word to describe the way this is the way this story goes, um, the inhabitants of the land are to be completely destroyed, um, and all their all the booty is com- to be completely destroyed. The one fascinating um, story that breaks that is the story of Rahab, who's saved. Who I'm sure you'll talk about that in one of your next episodes. Um, but that's an exception. The fact that Rahab is is saved because she um, protects the spies is a um, exception to that genocidal imperative. And we can talk about that a little bit more at the end if you want. Uh, But the violence that this book is 
attributing to God's people in conquering the land really is the central ethical challenge of Joshua for Christians, I would say. Um, Because in the reception of Joshua and the way it's been interpreted throughout various periods of Christian history, the conquest of Canaan has been used as justification for imperialism and conquest by Britain, British Empire, um, in the conquest and removal of indigenous people from America. Um, The Puritans came with that notion uh, when they settled here. And so that image of, oh, and the, and the Zionist movement um, in Israel uh, took these narrative has taken these narratives and, and interpreted them as the literal demand to conquer this land. So those are just a few examples in history and they're more. So it's this narrative that the people of God are intended to dominate a land and wipe out all the other people that's had a very, I don't know, damaging is too light a word. Uh, you know, that's like almost like the dark, um, yeah, original sin almost of, of the, of Christendom is that idea. And so, and so that's, that's the, um, that's to me. That's what makes it so hard yeah. to read Joshua. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think sometimes we just want like the rainbows and flowers and you know all of that stuff. And Alan and I have talked about this a lot. But, like we're very committed to read all parts of the Bible, even those that are hard, even that those. And I, I think the misuse. You're right in what it's done to this country and other countries and how people have been so unfairly treated and it all goes back to well Joshua says you know and using Joshua as an example hurts my heart you know and is the part that we have to really kind of wrestle with again that word wrestle what do you think Alan yeah you know it makes me think you know Joshua like we make Sunday school songs about Uh Jericho right like the battle and and all this like it's hagiography. And to me, it's the way we treat Christopher Columbus and the pilgrims. Mm. We talk about, they just stumbled upon America, right? And it was theirs for the taking, which right, like, how do we talk about the history of it, but also talk about like really bad things happened. And so my hope is through Joshua, we talk about, yeah, there are wonderful things. Sunday school kids maybe could sing songs about this and learn about it. But like, we also need to wrestle with the fact that we, the people of God, of which we are the inheritors, they did some bad things to claim their land, mm-hmm. at least if we're to take the Bible seriously. Or they or they celebrated, you know, so you say, well, maybe yeah. they didn't really, but they celebrated that. They, they celebrated it. Yeah. Their value. Uh-huh. Yeah, they they might have put a statue up to say, hey, we did this. Yeah. yeah. And we've, that's something we struggle with today. And so we see that, like, there's nothing new under the sun us struggling with our own founders myths in this country, the founders history is something that the people of God have done. How do we people back then had to have known like warfare is how we expand and maybe they weren't completely on board with it, but 
it's still part of the story. And so how do we talk about that? Well, Cynthia, anything else about Joshua that we really need to know? Well, I'm just going to end with a couple of quotations from the end, from Joshua's speech at the end. Um, You know, Moses gives a long speech at the end of Deuteronomy, and Jesus gives a long speech at the end of John, and Joshua gives a speech at the end of Joshua. And I want to read um, a little bit about this. First of all, um, I wanted to bring up the issue of insiders and outsiders, which is another hot topic. Um, I'm just going to read one one about that. One of you, um, one of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you as He promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and join the survivors of these nations left here among you and intermarry with them so that you marry their women and they yours, know assuredly that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations before you, but there shall be a snare and a trap for you, a scourge on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land that the Lord your God gives you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to you dealing with intermarriage in the next marriage with foreigners in the next couple of seconds. Oh, Cynthia, that's okay. new to us. We've talked about bodily fluids. We've okay. talked about I know, I know. You're, you're tough. You're tough. <laughs> Handle it. We so I'm going to read probably one of the most uh, well-known moments in the covenant renewal service in Joshua 24. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Again, this is the theme. Turn away from idols and these other gods typical of other peoples and embrace Yahweh. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Cynthia, I am um, beyond grateful to be back in your presence and learning from you, even if this isn't your favorite book. Um, I don't know if it's anybody's favorite book, but I appreciate it. Um, I think I feel more prepared to go through the journey of Joshua um, and what that might look like. Alan, any parting thoughts for me? No, I think that, you know, as we've done this book by book, you see the same themes. These are the people of God figuring out what it means to be the people of God. And knuckleheaded stuff happens and they deal with that. But there at the end, that choose this day whom you will serve, mm-hmm. that's a question they've been asked in every book. Yeah. Because they, in their understanding, when trouble happens, it's because they're not choosing the right person to serve. And this idea of idolatry and fidelity and all that, we're going to get to it again. And my guess is basically every book of the Bible is going to have that question. So thank you for helping us unpack that today and, you know, giving us a warning about some of the things that we might need to bring a guest in to talk about. So we don't have to take the bulk of that, but it's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great to be part of this and you're doing wonderful work and 
It's been terrific to be here. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's a great honor. I hope you'll do it again, Cynthia. And listeners, remember that we love you, but most importantly, God does.